Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, buddy, and welcome back to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. I'm Dr. Rob Dixon and sitting in for Casey today. And today we have a couple of really special guests here from the service. Chief Ryan Davenport is one of our district chiefs and Sean Simmons, our safety officer. And so the topic of today's cast is disasters and triage. And this was brought uh, by a question or really some concern from one of our in-charge paramedics, David Sabala, who emailed the, the clinical team and said, you know, we train uh, for lots of disasters, big scale disasters and mass shootings and chemical spills and all these other disasters. But what about the common disasters that I see every shift on the street? You know, maybe a, a multiple uh, car crash with multiple victims or a bad house fire with multiple victims. So that really got me thinking about you know, the whole triage system, how we do it in incident command, which I'll be honest with you, I think myself and probably truth be told, lots of medical directors and, and lots of providers really don't know incident command as well as we should know it. So first things first, for full disclosure, I can't remember the triage systems, you know, start and jump start and salt. I had to like write them down in my notes so I would remember them. But really, uh, they're just a way for us to risk stratify patients. There, there is a means to sort patients into the, the completely well, the, the mildly unwell, the really unwell, and the dead. And, and I can remember the colors, so green, yellow, red, and black. So kind of starting there, this is uh, getting ready to start our uh, quarterly CE here, first quarter at MCHD. And Sean Simmons, our safety officer, came up with, I think, a really novel process uh, that makes really took what the medics do and what I do in real life, which is gestalt, uh, when I look at a patient or look at a, a scene where I'm stratifying and sorting people on who to see first and put it into a really neat algorithm for us. So, Sean, let's start with you. Thanks for coming in. Can you start with the this new uh, sorting scheme you came up with? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, thank you for the credit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take credit for all of the work that an entire department or two departments have done here. Well done, so, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, but this, this goes back to, uh, you know, the quality department, the, the clinical department here at MCHD. Really looking at, we do, uh, we do a lot of things well. We do a lot of, uh, a lot of training really well for high-risk skills. Uh, but just like Mr. Sabala said on his email, we don't really focus on kind of the operation side of, of an incident whenever we approach with multiple patients. Uh, and I, I think this, this hits at a perfect time whenever we're, we are about to shift our triage uh, process. And we're not, we're not looking to throw another algorithm out at, at the medics and say, okay, you've memorized these other 15 algorithms, here's one more to memorize on top of those. Uh, no, no, we're just, we're looking to add a tool so that you can do your goal during a triage. And your goal during a triage for an MCI, mass casualty incident, is to identify sick patients and to get those sick patients to a hospital. That, that is our root, our root goal when we show up to those incidents, right? So uh, we, we approach it with what is an easy way for our employees to recognize what patient is green, uh, what patient's yellow, red, black. So uh, what's an easy four-letter four way for us to identify, and that's MCHD. That's, it's, it's all over the wall. <laughs> so what, 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 how can we break that down and say, okay, uh, what are your green patients? For M, 
Our green patients are mobile. Those are the patients that you walk up and say, hey, can you walk? I need you to go over there. If those patients have self-ambulated and gotten themselves out of the way, then they can wait a few minutes. Uh, if, if they're still kind of hanging around and they've got some injuries, but they're not maybe quite so severe yet, they don't require immediate attention, we're looking at our, our yellow patients. Those are our concerns. We have some concerns for those patients, uh, but they're not quite the highest on our priority, our priority list. Uh, moving further down the, the MCHD, we have our H's, the high life threats. Those are the patients that unless there's action done quickly, uh, it, could, it could cause their, their death or their deterioration to, to uh, black tag. And then of course our D, easy, is the dead patients, those are the black tags. So I, when we look at that from the outside, we say, oh, oh, there's, we're, we're throwing MCHD back, back in this, we're trying to coin new terms, we're trying to make a new algorithm system. We're not, we're trying to make an easy tool for our medics to identify uh, sick patients so that they can rapidly move them to a hospital. And that's our Yeah, and this works in really well with what David was talking about, the scene that he was describing. And honestly, I saw your picture with the roll of tape, uh, the triage tags. I have to bag in the triage tags because I've been doing this and you guys have been doing this for a long time. Anyone here ever used a triage tag in real life? No, just in, just in practice. See, all a big zero. And I would imagine most people in the last MCI drill that we ran here at MCHD, uh, everybody had to get trained up on how to use the triage tags properly. And I think we focused so much on the triage tags that we forgot our main mission there was to just simply sort the sickest of the sick first and evacuate them uh, from the scene to the hospital. So, Sean, when we, we've talked about this triage algorithm uh, and how we're going to do this, and by the way, uh, Sean just bought four uh, different colored MCHD uh, colors of tape and that's our new triage tag so we just have a roll with the the tape on them and we put the tape someplace visible on the patient so we talked about triage now I'm going to give you David's scene and you're going to take it from there on I mean it's I think the most daunting for providers is you show up there's this nasty car wreck in the middle of the road it's dark there's are multiple cars there's patients milling about there's clearly sick patients in entrapped in the vehicles and it's it's some lying in the roadway there's chaos everybody is is upset and screaming and it's you all right so i think you approach that scene we're, we're looking at our uh at our medics that are approaching you know it's like I said, it's the dark roadway it's it's the uh, catastrophe it's there's bodies everywhere i'm gonna kind of i'm gonna go back and forth with uh chief davenport and uh really kind of understand what what him as a as a chief expects to see from his crews out in the field. So, your your medic is somewhat a new in charge. You're you've got uh, a partner that's not so experienced. You know they're not they're not you know have to hold their hand quite all the time, but you know you have to have you have to get in the direction. Um, and because alarm or dispatch or communications is only as good as the information they get, you are the only ambulance on scene right now. Uh, so. What, what would be an expectation for us to have for our medics that are approaching a scene like that? They have a patient count that's higher than they can manage. And how do they go about the process of implementing an ICS structure? How do they go about the process of uh, starting a triage system, communicating more resources, those really, those vital elements of a scene that happened in the first 30 seconds? Yeah, so the first unit on scene is gonna be triage by default. So they go in, they arrive, they if there are two paramedics or even a basic can uh, 
can determine life threats just as easily. So you, if you need to split up, because a lot of times there'll be more than one vehicle, they're going to be not close together, especially if there's high velocity impact, uh, if there's motorcycles, whatever the case is. So ultimately, they need to to put eyes and hands on every single patient that's there and determine if go down the algorithm and see what the immediate life threats are if they're dead, because if they're dead, they're not being transported by us anyway. Uh, and then once they determine the number of patients that will be transported from the scene, we need to get that many ambulances on our way. It's always important to get to get it the maximum number that you think you'll need initially, and then you can always disregard some later. It's just it's much it's much better for scene times for patient care if you have uh, if you have everyone already on the way, and then just disregard them after the fact. If if you determine that, um, and I know we'll go over it later, but if you determine that you can put multiple patients in one unit, or if someone changes their mind and they're like, no, my mom will take me, that's fine. So you're you're approaching that saying you've you've gotten there, you've requested the ambulance that you think you're you'll need. Is it is it beneficial to call more ambulances, just kind of uh, to see if you'll need them and turn around, or should you wait and really make sure you need them? Before? No, call them immediately. Honestly, I would recommend calling them before you get there. If you get dispatch notes that sound pretty juicy and say that there's three ejections and two entrapments, and say, okay, five ambulances, let's go. And then whenever you get there and find out that like, well, it was just three people walking around and two people can't get the doors open, then you can downgrade and disregard people. But it's always best just to have everyone on the way and then to, to not have them there when you need them. Uh, Dr. Dixon, I'm not sure if you caught that. I'm going to work that into our new education is that if in the route you have a juicy, juicy uh, call notes. Juicy, so. <laughs> juicy. I like that. It's, I think that's a first for the cash, Sean. So let's move forward a little bit. You're now the chief. Sean has gotten there, and he has started sorting through the patients. He's asked for additional resources. You're the district chief that was initially assigned to the call, and you roll up on scene. What happens then, chief? Yeah, so then whenever I arrive, uh, usually whoever's in incident command, fire unit, whatever battalion chief is there, uh, will will approach me, or I will look for them, um, and then also look for the first uh, first paramedic that's on scene so I can get a rundown of the number of patients. Generally, I already know how many ambulances are on the way, so I know who I need to disregard or uh, if we need to add more from there. Uh, but generally, I, what I like, what I, the information that I like to know is the where the urgent patients are, so and so where we know where to send the resources that are coming in. And then I need to know uh, from there if people are entrapped what, how long the extrication is going to be, because it's, I think it's important if we have units coming in that are going to be there pretty quick, but we have a, a little bit of an extended extrication, it's important for that unit to spend a little bit more time getting ready to leave than it is arriving and getting to the patient that ultimately they don't have access to. So, uh, you know, describe the, this scene we described, mm -hmm. you know, how do you stage units to get ready to leave? And do you keep the medics with those units and bring the patient to the medic yeah, so or vice versa? Usually we try to clear a path so the stretcher can make it through and then they'll bring all the equipment that they need. I mean, everything that, that you generally need for an urgent patient is already kept on the stretcher. Uh, if there's anything additional, we can communicate that to them over the radio. Uh, but what I expect is that they park in a in a way, and usually we can help direct, or if, if there's enough fire personnel on scene, we'll send someone or, or an officer to go direct them on where they can park. Uh, but generally, show up, 
I prefer back end so that you're ready to go. Uh, make sure that you're the path is cleared for the appropriate destination because that's another consideration that we have too a lot of times as we have these incidents that are on two lane roads you can't get through because the wreck just blocked the road so you need to know what your alternative paths are or what units would be most appropriate from either direction uh, that could get your patient uh, to the hospital quicker so that's always a consideration that we have too um, and a lot of times it's something that 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 we discuss uh, once once they arrive but it's good it's a good consideration to have so that we're, we're ready to go and we can del appropriately delegate the right patient to those units and streamline patient care. So we've talked about the first unit arriving on scene, the original, the, the initial sort, and then what happens when the first chief officer arrives in that, that process of passing command. What if you have multiple urgent patients? What's in your mindset as far as calling additional resources, additional captain or chief resources if we think we have some fairly urgent patients. You may have to ride downtown with one of these patients or ride to the trauma center with one of these patients. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good consideration. That's even something that, once again, could be done before even arriving on scene. If you know that you have multiple life threats, then once again, it's just like with the ambulances, There's, it's not going to hurt anything to have an additional district chief in route because ultimately that's another paramedic that can provide assistance to the in charge and to the crew in route to the hospital, especially if there's something uh, more more involved, like an like an airway case that that we might need to manage. It's always good just to have an extra person there, um, and also if if it's going to be multiple extended extrications, then we do have someone who can be uh, responsible, like a staging officer, someone who can uh, direct ambulance traffic, and then one person can be more of uh, scene management. And back to you, Sean, for incident command, can you just, uh, for the, the doctors in the room and the medical directors, give us a quick rundown. We bannered about this incident command and uh, passing command and medical branch. Just give a quick rundown on who's who. We work with lots of agencies, lots of first responder partners and law enforcement. Who is in command? How does that work and how does it pass in an incident like we're describing? Well, doctor, I don't want to hit too hard on it because I know that everybody remembers uh, lesson five from ICS 200 online that they took 15 years ago. So I don't want to spend too much time on that. Okay. Totally kidding. Uh, no, but whenever you approach an incident, it has to be a unified command. It has to be a, a sole incident commander, somebody that is responsible for that scene. Uh, then I, under that, you have the branches that are going to separate out. And that's where we kind of fall under our medical branch. So if you have a incident that's medically medically involved you have quite a few patients you have there's gonna be a need for setting up transport there's gonna be a need for setting up uh, staging apparatus there's uh, communications resources if you have an incident that is possibly going to be expanding you need to start thinking about expanding your ICS structure to match it can the ICS structure ICS structure sorry is built so that you can grow it and bring it back as you need to so uh, if there's an incident where you're going to have a heavy EMS presence, you're going to have, uh, you know, five, ten ambulances coming, you're going to have additional resources, air medical, buses, things like that. Uh, there's probably a situation where you need to start considering the, the medical division and setting up uh, with that kind of ICS structure. Uh, and it's important to talk about your triage roles in those as well, because whenever those first units show up on scene, too, that's, that's a dynamic assessment. Just because you show up and this person walked to the green because you said, okay, everybody get up and walk, and they followed the crowd and ended up in the green patients, that doesn't mean that patient's green. That means that patient was primarily triaged, was green. Yeah. And then you go back to assessment and realize, oh, wait, 
this patient that walked doesn't have an arm and is quickly decompensating. So that's, that's going to transition to our, to our yellow-red patients. So re-triaging is very important, just as, just as important as the primary triage is. So that's going to expand and contrast just like the rest of your ICS structure. So whenever Chief Davenport, whenever you show up and they've already done that primary triage, how, how long do you think it should take your, your medics before you start looking at those patients again saying, okay, we, we've done through, we've got a patient count. When should we start looking at them again? Yeah, so that's an ongoing process, right? And I think everyone's kind of involved with it. Uh, the firefighters are all EMT basics and they're trained in hemorrhage control and evaluating and they do a really good job of coming to us and say like, hey, this guy doesn't look so good. Maybe he needs a second look. And like, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. He does. So then that's someone that we would upgrade. Uh, I think it's important from, from my perspective is that once we do have the appropriate number of resources and all the patients are accounted for, uh, it, it still is important for, for me to take that step back and not get too involved in patient care so that I get tunneled on one patient and then completely fail to realize that there's other patients or the, you know, the mobile ones that are waiting for the other transport unit. We can't completely neglect them. There does need to be someone who's constantly evaluating them. I mean, there's, if we don't have the resources, then, then I'm not going to expect a paramedic to stay with them, but it is good to have at least, uh, if we have, you know, an MR that's responding with us, anyone, um, who can, obtained vital signs those I mean those are the red flags that we're going to catch later on it's like well this guy's blood pressure is you know 90 over Jesus we got to we have to do something about that you know then that's whenever they come and tell us now it's time to intervene right and so I, I think that's that's an interesting point where you come up and you're you know you're talking about retriage and you're you're assigning roles chief whenever whenever you're showing up on a scene let's let's pretend like like I'm the chief that's showing up and you're the, the paramedic that showed up first and now you're passing command mm -hmm. to me. What kind of report would you wanna hear? Yeah, what I generally expect is give me the number of patients, what, who's urgent, who's, usually they'll tell me who the most urgent patient is and that's good. I just wanna know who are the people who have immediate life threats, right? Like people who have high life, high life threats. That's what I wanna know. Uh, and then the number of units that we already have coming I generally know that, but it's it's good to have that information, what they've requested, um, because a lot of things can get lost over the radio, especially with that much traffic. Uh, so ultimately, I need to know how many patients, how many ambulances they need to transport all those patients, because a lot of times, too, that, that stuff can get uh, left behind. So we need to reaffirm that we have how many units coming. And then from there, I can take over and say, you know, who's my next in unit? Where are they coming from? And that's, that's your basic expectation, right? It's yeah, from absolutely. that first unit. You want to know patient mm -hmm. count, yeah. what resources do you need, oh, of course. And, and where are we going to go with how many patients. And if you guys, when you're talking about, you know, ordering extra ambulances and things like that, and it doesn't have to be perfect. As Chief said, we want to, just like everything else, for the patient safety margin, it's better to over-triage rather than under-triage and ask for more resources. What about when it gets down to the less critical people? What about splitting up families and putting people from opposing sides of the car wreck in the same ambulance? How, how do you sort that? How do you manage that, Chief? Yeah, that's always very situation dependent because so I wouldn't want to put someone who's, you know, potentially committed a felony by, you know, drunk driving in the same vehicle with, you know, the family that they just struck. That's that's bad. That sets you up for I would assume some litigation and ultimately it's just bad customer service. So that person ideally would need their own ambulance. Uh, the splitting up families, 
I would say is only necessary if if one is urgent and the other one, or if they're they're both urgent. It's it's always so situation dependent on and also what the family is accepting of. So if they say like, no, absolutely, I need my own, then we're as long as we have the resources, then we can accommodate it. Um, but otherwise, we try to encourage people to stay together. And I know we've put at times four patients in an ambulance that are all stable, but all just want to get checked out. And that's okay. We can do that as long as the as long as the in charge and the paramedic crew is okay with accepting that number of patients as well. Because there is going to have to be some individual comfort with it along alongside. I, I think it's interesting you brought that up when you talk about uh, people that may have had a sentinel event or or very bad choices led to a series of events yeah. that caused an incident that is likely going to end up in the court system and you want to try to separate those patients obviously there's going to be situations where you can't if it's yeah. if you're going to have uh, a, a patient load that's over your resource count you need to get those patients moved rapidly and that's that's going to be your avenue but it is good customer service sometimes if if you have the resources if you have the ability to say okay uh there's going to be a possible confrontation happening in this ambulance. There's going to be some arguing. There's going to be maybe some hostility. Uh, and we can afford to let this patient sit here, uh, regardless of what side they're on, mm -hmm. uh, while this other patient's taken care of, just to avoid that conflict or to avoid that issue that could come either in the ambulance, at the hospital, or further on down the road in litigation that comes out afterwards. Yeah, it's a crew safety thing as well, because if the, you know, the two patients become agitated and you know, first it starts with words and then it's, you know, could develop into a physical altercation. I don't want our people being in the middle of that. So it's easy just to separate them and Yeah, great discussion, guys, of a real life problem. Um, I think that's a really good place to, to wrap it up. Uh, we've got some take home points. So kind of what I heard from this, and, and I'm the, the un, least educated about this in the room and do it the least, practice it the least, is that all disasters are not created equal. But that being said, you can apply the same incident command structure to all these incidents, whether it be a mass casualty incident with 100 patients or that motor vehicle wreck with six patients, eight patients, four patients, that it can expand and contract. Remember, the whatever system you use, it's mainly by gestalt. Uh, you're, you're more than welcome to please rip off and duplicate the MCHD. So mobile, concerning, high life threat, and dead and green yellow red black and we use tape here at mchd you can use whatever means fits your service but i think that's a really novel and great way that puts into practice what we already do every day try to avoid what i'm hearing try to avoid splitting up families if you if at all possible you know we want to keep our our take care of our patients and our patients family the best way we can but that's really a judgment call highly dependent on the circumstances uh, and then it's a really good discussion guys I got a lot out of it of just how does that initial scene management work because as medics and medical providers if we show up on that scene we really want to start doing medic stuff right and it's I think it's really really hard for most providers to flip the switch and say now this is a this is a disaster this three-car crash with six patients is really a disaster scene. I need to flip my way of thinking, and now I am triaging, ordering resources, getting ready to pass command to the first chief officer that arrives. So uh, I learned a ton, great discussion. Anything that we left out, Sean, that you guys would like to add in? No, I, I would just, I wanna echo off of you. I, I think uh, 
regardless of what system you follow, uh, it's important that you recognize a few things. Uh, one, that communication can always be improved. Uh, right now, in your planning stages, when you're listening to this thinking, okay, in my service, in my, in my work, how does this implement? How, how can I move something forward with triaging, with, with accident development, or whatever, whatever you want to call it? Uh, look at your radio systems. Look at your mutual aid. Look at your partners that are coming and work with you and figure out how am I going to talk to that agency? If I need to talk to an air medical provider, how am I going to talk to them? How am I going to uh, bring in an agency that's two counties away and make sure that they're communicated well? Uh, I think it's also to understand, uh, and Doc, I'll put this back to you, is that uh, with us you know, bringing up a different triage algorithm, a different triage tool, then you could say that we're turning away from some of the posted standards. We're turning away from some regional and state and national standards of triage where they're going to count respirations. They're going to count uh, GCS scores. They're going to count you know, all of your different vital signs on, si on the scene. But that also it takes us away from the very important side of triage, and that's rapid. We need to do a rapid uh, assessment of these patients to get them off scene. And I think that I, I inevitably imagine that you're going to get some feedback from this episode from colleagues saying, well, what about, what about counting uh, the number of times that they blink? Right. I, I'm going to, I always flip all the, the nasty comments. Those go directly to Dr. Patrick and I stay away from those. That's a good point, Sean. I, th I really do believe that what we're doing, the only time I see people go through one of these algorithms and actually do all those, count those blinks is during a drill. And I've seen lots of these in real life and no one does that. They walk up to the patients, they walk up to the scene, they make an assessment. Gestalt. Gestalt. So great discussion. Anything else, Chief no, Yeah, I appreciate y'all having me on. No, it's great to have both of you. That are two of our great experts in managing scenes, longtime paramedics, and, and great providers. Uh, so we'll leave it there with you guys. Uh, as always, if you have comments or questions, please drop us a note at the podcast email, podcast at mchd-tx.org. And please, uh, if you like what you hear, give us a five-star review on Google or wherever you rate your podcast. We've enjoyed doing this one, guys. Thanks for joining, and we'll talk to you soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.